Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome brothers and sisters and all my friends out there to another Monday evening's Muslim Vibe podcast. Today we are talking Barcelona attacks, the state and Muslims on social media. So we're following this structure of three topics and to join us in this discussion we have none other than Hussein Kazvani as well as Salim Carson. Do I need to introduce you or does everyone know you as we were just discussing like a moment I'm, ago? I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It depends. How should I introduce you? Yeah, that's, good, that's a good question. Um, how would you introduce me? I don't know. A journalist, um, broadcaster, all-round opinionated man. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so it's better than like my dad. It's like not the lawyer. Um, <laughs> uh, which is always, always good. Um, but, um, we went to this wedding the other week. Yeah. And as all weddings... As all weddings go, there was like an auntie who knocked on our car door just as we were about to leave. And you're like, I just see you have a son, like, you know, is like what 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 is he? And my dad was just like, Oh, he studied like history at university, and the auntie was just like, fine, whatever, just like walked off. <laughs> um, one of the most demoralizing parts <laughs> of my um 26th year of life. So. I got a similar one because I actually started <laughs> doing law at university. So yeah. imagine my dad's oh, disapproval when oh, I wow. dropped you out actually to do dropped out I of... dropped out to do literature. How are you still alive, man? Still in one place. I think we're all in the same boat here. Yeah. I studied <laughs> classical studies at uni. Like, no one knows what that is. People, still, yeah, people think it's classical music. And that, that's as far as the conversation is. So it's true. Go. There's a certain type of man who makes a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Looks that way today, unfortunately. Well, we're talking, uh, obviously, about um, Barcelona attacks. And more than that, in fact, because um, having recently read a couple of your articles um, on the gamification of... Um, you know, uh, social yeah. media, the whole kind of response globally um, as a society to these kind of events, uh, the way in which we report on it, act upon it, um, you know, just the whole interaction with uh, these global issues and news today, mm. how it's changed from previous times. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really interesting concept, the idea of gamification, uh, especially in light of, you know, the because I, I just recently I heard someone, and you might know better than me, saying like um, in regards to statistically is this correct or not. But recently I heard someone say that there's one attempted terrorist attack every week in Europe. Sure. That doesn't seem unfeasible. All right. Um, there, there's a lot of research which sort of shows that like the more the security state ramps up, right, the more kind of attacks tend to get planned or like try to get executed and stuff and the majority of those attacks obviously get thwarted um a lot of those attacks get thwarted because of like silly human error right. um funnily enough which is also really scary as well but just like these general kind of you know these young guys who don't know how to make like proper chemical like chemical explosives or like know how to like do hardware properly so they end up like just screwing up on their own accord um which is very packet goes off in their rucksack it's, it's, like, it's, on the way to school. Very yeah. four lions. It's, <laughs> very, it's very, it's very four lions. But the fact that it's happening Robert more <laughs> is, and obviously you've got like ISIS who are kind of yeah. giving, you know, and now ISIS is new directive. Like the one reason why the directive of like use knives and use weapon, like cars and stuff was partly because they realised that like you know you can't send like idiots out and tell them to like make complicated weapons. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to fail. So like the rate of success is better when you tell them to like use things that are readily available to them so right. the reason why that number has gone up is also because the nature of like attacks has also changed okay. it's actually become a lot more simplified and stuff like that um which is interesting actually yeah because yeah, um again i I've, I've noticed this because um it's one of them things whereby then 
it's hard to predict, I suppose, mm. um, when something's going to pop off. And so yeah. subsequently, it really does build that fear-mongering within yeah. a wider society. And hence yeah. maybe why we get so involved, especially with the, you know, the platforms such as social media, which enable us yeah. to kind of like, you know, kind of pontificate, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's sort, of, it's sort of bizarre, isn't it? Reasonings. It kind of hit me like the thing that the gamification thing sort of hit me in real time when the Westminster attack happened because my office is in Westminster. Okay. So we were sort of locked in our office oh, wow. while this thing was happening, like two minutes away. Okay. Couldn't wow. we go? Couldn't go out or anything. So the only thing yeah. you could really do is listen to police sirens and look at what's going on on social media. Yeah. Um, and we all know how this, you know, what I was trying to say was like, we all know how this thing is going to play out, right? Like, there's going to be an hour or so of confusion, slowly, slowly, like, the details will drip. And then during the lag time is kind of where lots of games get played. Mm -hmm. So things like, you know, who was the attacker? I bet it was a Muslim person. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the other side where, like, I really hope it's not a Muslim person. I really hope it's, like, a far right. Or, like, you know, in the most kind of, not in a cynical way, not in a kind of nasty way, but just in terms of, like, you know, that's how we interact online. It's mm. not, you know, the emotion, you know, imme you immediately will have like, oh, this was like an awful attack. Mm. But then as we're waiting for things to go on, we're trying to like essentialize. I think a lot of it is because as human beings, we're like prone to try and make sense of everything. Right, right. Even stuff that's really complicated and out of our control, like there's this impulse that we have to understand everything. And social media makes it really easy to do that mm. or to like feel that we have a platform to do it because of likes, retweets, all this other kind of like engagement stuff mm -hmm. so you can post something which is completely and wholesalely wrong right mm. we're out of context but you can get thousands of retweets thousands of likes and and that affirms it yeah. for you then it makes yeah. you feel like you're you're almost getting an appraisal from society it makes you that... feel that like you're not alone it makes you mm -hmm. sometimes feel that you're a leader mm -hmm. um it makes you feel that like you kind of have the cool head on this. There's another like one of the strange things that I sometimes see whenever these terrorist attacks happen are kind of people who try to take this moral high ground by saying like, you know, don't post um, awful pictures, you know, make sure you don't do that. And they'll post a Samaritan's Guide, like things that we already know. Right. Mm -hmm. But they'll do that. And, and sometimes it will largely be because they want to get the exposure. They'll get the followers or get like, you know, they'll get the thrill of like, you know, all these followers suddenly coming yeah, together yeah. with everything. Yeah. It's very absurd to think about. And I sort of wonder, like, is it a safety mechanism? Is it, you know, a way of coping with things? It and if that's the case, like how dangerous is that? I think one of the things I saw with this Barcelona attack, and like from from a personal perspective, having run the Muslim vibe for a couple of years now, mm. when when ISIS first struck, I think like after we had set up in January two thousand and fifteen, we had a, a spoken word piece called "This Is Not My Islam," and it was like a video response, a, a spoken word piece by Sanasino, yeah, um, who's a who's a great artist, and mm. she was basically you know saying that this we don't this doesn't we don't stand it doesn't for this. represent us and all of that, and it was yeah. like good messaging, and we got stuff out there, and then mm. there was another attack that happened, and we had an open letter that someone had written to addressed that terrorists and whatever else and it was great it went out there and like it went a bit viral as well and then recently like when this recent attack happened the Barcelona I, I'm I'm frankly like tired of like yeah. looking at it from a political perspective how can we score points like yeah. where, where do we stand on this where's our unique angle where we can get the most traffic like I yeah. I don't want to do that anymore hmm. and what's really interesting as well is that it's it's just that there's no one actually stopping and thinking about mourning for what's happened, it's a right. tragedy. Like the London attack is a great example, yeah. where 
I remember, you know, the London attack happened, the Westminster attack, and then there was the, the London Bridge attack yeah. at night. And I, I remember listening to radio at night, and people were just going on about it. But I realised that as Muslims mm. in London, who I was brought up in London, I don't know about yourself, you're yeah. from Portsmouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, enough, I was, I was born in London, all right? <laughs> yeah. I'm a Londoner. Okay, he's a Londoner. I had a little hiatus, well. that's all, all right? <laughs> but, yeah, so, but as Londoners, yeah. our cities come under attack. Yeah. Yeah, we're not allowed to actually be fearful of that fact or anything it's just yeah. we've got a it's like second level where it's like oh we're muslims people yeah. are going to start looking at us now yeah i mean finsbury park was a good example of that wasn't it where like even though you know you have a van ram like ramming van attack where you know attacking worshippers during ramzan like a man died and like you know there, immediately there was that thing of oh like oh did he really die because the van hit him or was it because he had <laughs> like an illness beforehand and i was reading this and i was sort of thinking to myself even if that was the case like you know you're making these statements like a day after these attacks happen. Like exactly. imagine like if those, imagine if like someone had died of shock at the London Bridge thing. Like mm. would you say, oh no, it was completely fine. It was nothing to do with, mm. you know, it was because she had like, you know, an illness ready. And it was, yeah, like Salim's completely right in kind of saying that, you know, when it came to like attacks on our city and the places that we live in, the places that we, you know, even like abroad, like places that we really love and we're attached to. Yeah. Like, that kind of emotional attachment to things is suddenly like denied because mm. online and more and more seeping into real life but online it's kind of like you can only embody certain identities to certain people um even like the thing that was really absurd to me was like even people with muslim names who were kind of offering condolences were like being hit with like torrents of abuse mm -hmm. all because of their names right well th um, uh, this is uh, i think and maybe uh, i should be corrected if I'm making too much of a generalization, mm. but I feel America's politics and uh, media have a lot to say for this as well. Right. And I feel like there's a direct relation between um, how we respond to things after the fact of how Americans respond in a way, yeah. um, as this kind of like tag team Western identity. Um, in that, for example, the Charlottesville thing. Um, yeah. Same kind of scenario in that, you know, um, you'll have people like Alex Jones to, I mentioned this other guy who seems to get a lot of um, followers now, Stefan Molyneux, yeah. um, who basically say the most out, they're almost calling for Muslim hate, you know, yeah. openly calling for Muslim hate, you know, going around in the newspaper saying, why wasn't, you know, um, the Barcelona attacks, for instance, categorically stated as a headline, this is Muslim, you know, uh, terrorism. Yeah. And then trying to empathize with the Charlottesville attacker yeah. saying that, you know, his mother was disabled and he was crazy yeah. and bipolar and used to beat up his mum in a wheelchair and all these that kind of really things. That was really interesting because I was noticing before the alt-right And sorry, the last yeah. thing I was going to say is yeah. Alex Jones actually went on to the streets of Seattle with a newspaper to try and basically show what people <laughs> feel towards. Did you have you seen this? Yeah, clip? And some guy like flips him off. And, like, he gets Mate, really it, the funniest thing is, it's all <laughs> white-faced Americans who are going up to him and saying you're a racist, f off, and whatnot, yeah. throwing coffee at him and whatnot. And he's like, "See, this proves my point. This proves my point." I was like, "What yeah. point does it prove?" Mm. There's not one Muslim here giving you any abuse. There's not one Muslim. It's your own people telling you. But yet still, these people get so many hits and get so much of a following, and mm. thus they can almost influence, you know, the masses. I think like the alt right stuff with Charlottesville was a really interesting. Has been a really interesting turning point for this, yes. because what you notice when it happened 
was in a lot of ways it was like very similar to isis sympathizers it was really interesting like when this first happened they were like trying to make excuses you know trying to say that oh you know as the protesters who were like banging the car and he just got scared and then like as more information came out that oh this guy is an actual nazi and like he does nazi salutes and stuff like that mm-hmm. and he associated himself with a lot of our movements i think there was this like existential crisis of like you know are we actually the bad guys? And I don't know how that's gone. I think that sort of died down a bit because of like other events and the fact that these things tend to have a very short shelf life until like the next major thing happens. Right. But there was a, there's been a lot less zealotry and there's been much more kind of like people trying to explain things hmm. and finding it really difficult to explain things. I hmm. think like one really good example is the Canadian outfit Rebel Media, who are like the Canadian Breitbart. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of running through a lot of chaos at the moment because they had to fire two staffers mm. who mm. ended up going on like Nazi podcasts, right? <laughs> Things that they wow. tolerated for a really long time. They like they let one of their correspondents do these videos, which is just like white genocide is a thing, wow. right? They let her do that. It was a happened last year. She had a wow. job until like you know so much pressure came on this organization to kind of denounce Nazism. Yeah, that she had to go right. And now if you look at the comments on their thing, on their like Facebook posts and stuff, like it's all people just saying that, you know, all like people like defending like Nazi, like pretty much like white nationalism. They're like, you shouldn't have gotten rid of his correspondent, like just because she was telling the truth about white genocide. It's like, wow. Like, so <laughs> as a result of them trying to kind of like clean up their act, yeah. they've, they're now like receiving just as much hate as like left-wing groups and like Muslim groups and stuff That's like that. It's very bizarre to watch. Um, we're in a very bizarre moment at the moment. But I mean, it follows on from what Salim was saying in that, you know, I feel almost tired as well. Um, having to, mm. every time uh, an attack occurs, you know, having this, whether it's a minority group, whether it's the, the minority group, but it's the loudest voice, whatever you want to say it is, um, or maybe it is the majority, but when they're asking for Muslims to denounce and to, you know, openly kind of stand up and make a statement, you know, to give uh, in an understanding that, you know, we are not with the terrorists. Like, how many times do we have to say, these are crazy people, we yeah. don't agree? I mean, and yet, they can't understand in any way the parallel between, it's like them having to stand up and say, we're white, but we don't share in the same opinions as these extreme yeah, white like, people. Or we're right-wing and we don't associate with, like, the extreme right. Exactly. You know, which I think is much more kind of, which I, is much more accurate. Ex- like, I was yeah. just going to say. But yeah. I didn't see many people on the, the left calling for that. That's the funny thing. When it happens the other way around, mm. everyone's calling for Muslim organisations and yeah, Muslim yeah. individuals and whatever to denounce things yeah. and condemn or whatever else. But we don't do it the other way around. I think we're missing a trick there. If we're going to start playing the game, mm. yeah. we should start playing it right. And I think we should be calling out the sort of duplicity of all these Yeah, things. no, I agree with you, man. I agree with you, 100%. I think it's, like, sort of happened, though, but it's sort of happened in, like, a dignified way. So in America, they have, like, you know, MPAC is a really big organisation. They have, like, these other, like, organisations which are, like, largely suits, right? I yeah. don't think these Muslim groups don't necessarily have, like, big activist movements. Right, right. Um, in the same way that, like, other political organisations do. Like, the, you know, the, um, the Anti-Defamation League and, like, other kind of Jewish groups, like, have, like, actual activist wings. Mm-hmm. Um which means that they've got everything covered. Whereas I think in the Muslim space, and I don't know the reasons behind this, but in the Muslim space anyway, most of like our activist groups tend to be like organizations. They tend to be like offices who like put out think tank reports and stuff like that. So maybe like missing the trick is actually missing kind of like street level organization. Right. Um, right maybe right. it's hard. I'm not, oh, you know, I don't no, know. No, I think there's a, there's a, a valid point maybe within that. Um, but okay, look, let's go to these Barcelona attacks specifically. Then. Mm. Um, and, uh, 
it's interesting because uh, I don't I don't know how this is even possible really and truly but okay so the details of the attack itself so you've got this van which is zigzagging through you know um, uh, I forget the name of the street that's, um, that's it um, and you know kills however many people is shocking injures so many people mm. what I find interesting though is how does that apparently that same group of people manage to get away from that scene and cause on the same day in another part of you know um, country uh, another mass killing um, and then and then they got killed at that spot there um, I just find it interesting because you know people say that we're so on top of terrorism you know yeah. we, we, there's, we've covered every procedure under the sun because now they're talking about you know extreme checks on van hiring you know like it's yeah. like mm -hmm. from having a shoe bomber now your shoes get checked it's like now any car you rent or any van you rent is that really going to make it any better because as i say in this circumstance where it's obvious there's a van you know where were those people supposed to run to afterwards in that yeah. i don't know how five people got away to cause more tragedy thereafter when we live in such a hyper secure society yeah. is this all an excuse just to grab our data or is there genuine you know um are, are these genuine methodologies which are gonna like you know cause or yeah. prevent you know terrorism i forgot to warn you you know i love the conspiracy <laughs> okay. any, any opportunity he gets he'll chuck in a conspiracy so this, theory. so this is like going this is like going to dinner with my uncle um having to like having Having to, having to convince him. Welcome to my weekly life. I have to sit through this. It just vexes um, me. It's like there's not one. I'm gonna have to hire a van now and like. You know, I'm gonna go start making like, a list of what you're conspiracy. I mean, he sort of got a point in the sense that like lots of private companies. Yeah. Because there's a lot going on, right? So like, at the same time, we can, I can only really talk about Britain here. So at mm. the same time as like the terrorist threat kind of increases and vigilante attacks increase. There's also greater outsourcing mm. to private organizations who work in like the ter the um, extremism space. So that can be like in nonviolent extremism, it can be like military consultant, it can be like police consultants and stuff like that. Um, you know, as part of like the austerity agenda, like more and more, more and more of this outsourcing happens. So of course there'll be like private companies who see these things as opportunities and lots of business kind of comes through like data capture, um, there's a lot of like interesting stuff around like IMSI capture devices and like companies who make these things which like are then sold onto police and they can kind of capture data remotely and this stuff was supposed to be used the IMSI capture devices were supposed to be used to kind of combat terrorism and what um, a vice news investigation found a couple of years ago was that these IMSI capture devices were actually being used to spy on protesters okay. while they were on the streets because they were looking at like the London riots and thinking you know you know the whole like after the London riots, there was that whole thing about like BlackBerry mm -hmm. and how um, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. we should be monitoring BlackBerry. Well, the Inzi capture device basically does that on like a very remote level, okay. so that stuff is likely to like that stuff is likely to factor in. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't obviously go as far as to, like <laughs> go for like like full on government conspiracy more than like full on government incompetence. But, but you, 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 well, but, that's yeah. that's my point though. You know, um, you know, there's enough like police action camera like shows on TV which make yeah. it seem as if like you know yeah, if you go past a, a speeding camera too quick you'll have a helicopter chasing you but yet when you have these global mass attacks mm. th people vanish in thin air from a crowd where you're in the middle yeah. of a city where there should be hyper cctv everywhere yeah. you should have police on a two-minute response um and yeah i just i just wonder i mean like, there's some people who kind of say because these guys are plain clothed yeah and you know judging by the pictures like you know they could easily pass off as like you know 
any other type of ethnicity mm-hmm. like like so it's probably easy to kind of run away from that mm-hmm. you know i think some one of the images we have is like if you're like an attacker you're going to be wearing like a suicide belt or something like of course, that it's not. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which you're not going to do right because if you're doing vigilante attacks and yeah. like you're going to try keep your body as light as possible um but I suppose that's the exact point, though. If it's yeah. vigilante attacks, if it's random, this is the whole point of labelling in every respect, whether it's labelling labeling who is responsible, yeah. who is the, they, who is, the, you know, the kind of, like, the other who we are fearful of, you know, or whether it's, you know, um, trying to identify what... Um, profile a terrorist might be and therefore what kind of security measures and checks we should put you know Joe Public through Mm. the point is is that you know it's we who suffer at the end of the day it's we who you know end up fearing for our lives and therefore engaging in all this you know as I say deliberation in between an attack and when we actually find out what the real reason for it was which in many cases people don't even believe by the end anyway because within that interim period of you know the gamification if we like if we're going to coin it as that you know Mm. of you know back and forth on social media yeah when it doesn't come to the outcome that they kind of have presumed via, you know, the mass kind of thinking, often they don't even believe the news outlets or, you know, the reasons which are given in the end. So is any of it even worth it? That's the point, you know. I think it's not really a question of whether it's worth it, but how do you kind of... Because the thing about social media companies, Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that, is they sort of, like, give an incentive to do that. Right. Like, the way that Twitter, like... One of the really interesting things about Twitter is like how much it's worth because in reality it's not really worth that much. But the fact that more and more people use mm. it and there's more and more data being sent mm. into it, mm. you know, they can kind of set themselves on very high valuations. So their incentive is always to kind of get people tweeting as much as possible. Yeah. Right? That's why they became very excited about when Twitter became like the de facto news source because everyone would be posting on Twitter and everything. Um, you know, Facebook works a little bit differently, but it's still all about like the more data you put in, the more valuable like this organization is worth, yeah, yeah. even if it's not really making that much money. Right. Um, well, isn't that the reason why if we were talking earlier about the fact that now, you know, if you're to threaten the life of, uh, you know, a presidential candidate or, you know, a, or, you know, a monarch or something, mm. it's more likely to go viral than you having police knocking at your door, you know, like 20, 30 years ago, mm. if you were to say something, you know, it, it would t- be taken seriously, you know, it wouldn't yeah. be just taken as hashtag bants, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's just, it's well, kind of ridiculous the C- in a way. The, the CPS kind of made an announcement today that they would be taking all that stuff more seriously mm. in the future. Um, and that's also kind of brought up a lot of worries for the kind of internet security scholarship community who are sort of like you know there isn't really enough research to justify why you would do that because we haven't really done enough work on like what how belief translates into action online kind of like what the online space is like is it a place to vent is it a place like so what sort of threats do we deal with and like the big incentive is that the big thing for the cps is that they'll treat anything now as a potential hate crime as long as the person who kind of is at the receiving end mm. views it as a hate crime and then wow. the question opens like you know what what would what, you perceive what would you yeah. perceive as like a hate crime like yeah, yeah yeah it can be like you know anti-muslim abuse or it can you know but what if it's like you know you're an idiot for kind of you know for doing this or like you know mm-hmm. you're stupid for getting this tattoo like does that classify as a hate crime mm-hmm. there obviously be people who take advantage of that and troll yeah um will it create more work for the cps and it will solve and mm-hmm. like so i think it's kind of heading towards that direction now I'm also but maybe it's on that point I just, yeah. i've just i've just learned this i didn't know any of this but i think on that point even you know when you have the definition of for example um, Zionism or yeah. what's, uh, what's anti-Semitic yeah. Yeah. Um, that definition sometimes is sort of tied in with 
Israel and whatever else. So, some, mm. so saying something anti-Israel could be perceived as yeah. anti-Semitic, which right. is a, which is a problem for yeah. people that are, have no problem with with Jews and Jewish people, but don't like the state of Israel. And yeah. additionally, yeah. like the fact that yeah. Facebook and Twitter and everything are like moving towards AI models of like finding extremist content mm. kind of makes that even more dangerous because the whole point of AI is that it will pick up key words, key phrases, key images that are all vetted by like organizations that we don't really know about but are like screened by the home office mm-hmm. but ever since like 2000 and what 2011 or something like that the home office has not really disclosed who is involved in like prevent related projects or not mm-hmm. um so you've basically got an organization deciding what stuff classifies as extremist and what doesn't you don't know who this organization is mm-hmm. you don't know who's vetting it mm-hmm. and the ai that is being used by these social media companies to like find the stuff on mass is completely unaccountable because it's ai it's not a human being Right, so we're just—I mean, I don't know—we're ending up mm. in a mess, and I sort of wonder, like, whether this will. So what I was yeah. going to say. So what's what is the solution? You know, <laughs> uh, we're coming to you know because, uh, as I said, you know, we're not necessarily going to end terrorism tomorrow. You know, people like to make out as if terrorism is some new phenomenon of the yeah. Muslim radical uh, extreme, but you know, terrorism is existed for years. You yeah. Know? So. But in regards to this discussion, the idea, because I want to talk about the state as well. Right. Um, and uh, in fact, you're writing a book as well. So, you know, I want to discuss Love that to as well. Love to plug the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, get pre-orders in. But, get the pre-orders in. But you, you, you understand what I mean in the sense that, you know, what what should we be doing then as mm. a community, as a people, as sure. as media people are also yeah. partly responsible for, you know, the way that, you know, people engage with social media? Sure. How, how are we supposed to approach these? I issues? don't have an answer for it, which is not a great kind of look to have when you're trying to build yourself as an expert. <laughs> but yeah. um, I think on a very micro level, I think Muslim communities, masjids, local communities and stuff need to kind of be much more clued up with social media than they currently are. Right. Um, for both like preventative purposes and also to kind of know what the best line of defense is when like communities and people are under attack. Right. Um, lots of kind of like being health. I think mental health is a really key one, right? I think at the end of the day, when it comes to like social media stuff, because I don't have an answer like how you stop terrorists. Like, yeah. I, you know, because that's a, sorry to interject. There's another yeah. point there. I've actually spoken to people who have worked with um, whether it be people returning from Syria yeah. from fighting with ISIS or people who were just on the cusp of about to go, you know, yeah. or whatever. And most of these people, you could argue, have mental issues of some nature, yeah. of some form. It's like you were saying earlier on when we were discussing, you know, um, degrees and, you know, the fact that somebody who's obsessed by war, you can question sometimes, you know, yeah. what, what they might be thinking, you know. Um, it's yeah. a similar thing in that, you know, there's always going to be grassroots to it. It's somebody that doesn't wake up one day and say, I want to go and fight and be a martyr tomorrow. Yeah. There's obviously a reason. Um, and this will lead into the state because it's interesting how they're trying to humanize yeah, and show that, that element. You like it? That's why I'm a radio presenter. But you get the point in that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because nobody seems to address that element, but we see... The English um, response or the right wing response, I keep saying English, it's really bad that I say mm. things like this um, because it makes me sound racist. But, you know, the, <laughs> the, um, but the response um, to, for instance, right wing extremists or whatever it may be who yeah. are attacking the opposite, um, in the antithesis, it's always there coming and jumping forward and showing that humanistic side so that people can understand it. Whereas we're often prone to be, you know, scapegoated because nobody really 
represents or even comes as a voice because they're scared mm. on both sides. I think there's also like about power as well. Like, you know, representation is a really key and important thing. Yeah. We don't have enough Muslims kind of working in kind of mainstream television, mainstream newspapers. Like, mm. I know that there's lots of Muslims who kind of discount that, mm. but the point about working in the mainstream is that you can kind of, repre- you know, it's all about representation, right? Um, there are very few kind of Muslim journalists who are working full time right. um, in mainstream spaces. Uh, there's very, very few Muslims who kind of work in television, True. especially those who kind of have commissioning powers and stuff like that. Um, there's more at the same time. There's more and more Muslim creators. There are people like making YouTube channels. They're doing um, really high quality videos. They're kind of doing much more poetry, much more. So on their own, they're doing the stuff, and they're kind of building a kind Independent, of subculture. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of like building a subculture as a result, and that's done wonders in terms of like building a movement and like embedding with activists and stuff like that. But in terms of like overall perceptions, hmm. um, you know, I was having a conversation today with um, someone about Nadia Hussein and how like despite the fact that she was really discounted for a long time, like she has probably been the most influential Muslim Mm. in TV. Um, And the BBC have kind of given her a lot of power to kind of do that. And, you know, her TV show, when she kind of went back to Bangladesh to learn how to cook, Mm. was like one of the best things that the BBC has ever done, Mm. right? Something that would be completely inconceivable a few years ago, because like here is like a dot, yeah. Sorry, what do you mean by, sorry to cut you off there. No, 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 go But what do you mean by influential? (laughs) And and sorry, yeah. just while you're drinking, I might as well get another word in. I, I mean, just as... <laughs> yeah. No, no, no the, the, the other point that you made about yeah. people not being in the mainstream, yeah. um, we've discussed this and we're hoping to get um, some more people on in the future to discuss this at, yeah. on its own. But personally, and I think United will support me as it's a conspiracy mm. theory of thoughts, yeah. um, of sorts, sorry, um, sure. is that in the mainstream, mm. there is a certain agenda and there is a certain line that needs to be told. And, and the kinds of Muslims... And the kinds of people that make it obviously told a certain line. I know people yeah. that have told me that they've been shackled in that they can't sure. address certain things, they can't do certain things. Yeah. And is it worth getting a bit of face time yeah. um, at that expense? Sure. Or would you rather the grassroots, which yeah. you discussed, can be very effective, sure. where you can do your own thing so, and say what you want? So with Nadia, I think I say that she's... Bear in mind she's yeah. about cakes, you know what I mean? Like In the sense that it's not very political. You but know, I think, like, I think her, it's a safe ground, right? I think her like soft power stuff is really good. Yeah. Like In the sense of like she was on primetime British TV. TV at like a, a period like of high viewership right like mm. seven eight o'clock is like the highest viewership of like bbc like bbc one mm. so she got like a prime time slot on bbc to like talk about her culture and obviously like at a time when like culture and religion is so embedded mm. the fact that you were able to kind of do a really high well-produced well-funded show that got a lot of views and got a, like a lot of like it was one of the bbc's most popular shows as far mm. as like from what i've heard um to get that on mainstream British television, like a show that isn't about Muslim terrorism or extremism mm. or like, you know, these weird sort of, you know, you know, cousin marriaging, <laughs> marriage sort of things. That's like a really big feat that I think that she does. She deserves like a lot of kudos for. In terms of your question, um, I mean, I used to work in mainstream media full time. I don't necessarily so much, even though I kind of do. Um, I can only really talk about my experience though. Like I have heard stories mm. from like other correspondents who I won't name and everything who have said that they've been restricted and their, their stories that they bring to um, their editors are sometimes kind of looked at with suspicion. The latter did happen to me and has happened to me several times. Yeah. Um, largely because, I don't know, because the way that Muslims kind of look at, one of the things that I found anyway was that the, the issues that I found that were really important, a lot of editors didn't really care about very much. Yeah. Because they had this view. It wasn't really like they had an agenda, but they had this view of what 
Muslim coverage should look like. Mm. And it was largely based on their own questions, right? So, you know, yeah, you had, like, sympathetic editors who were like, yeah, you should do a story about, like, these Muslim charities and everything. What I kind of say when I do talks is that Muslim stories are really fit into two categories, or even fit into, like, really nice charity stories or terrorism stories. So it's not mm. that in-between area where, like, you can have really good creative material isn't really there anymore like even you know there's no there's no real forms of experimentation you know the most the most experimentation you'll get is kind of like having like a muslim side character in a drama or something well this um, is what well, like her religion it where even well, because of a citizen khan right like the religious stuff and the cultural stuff is mm. very very obvious they make it like the butt of the joke whereas like the things that you really want the things that really exert soft power are kind of when religion plays a very subtle role and you're like here is a person with like loads of agency who has their own views and their own opinions and like religion doesn't dominate their life but it is an important part of their identity well, this is the exact point, um, and this brings us to the program, the state. Um, yeah. Because whenever we do have an opportunity to represent, whether it be fictional narratives, whether it be you know um, narratives which uh, you know docufiction, whatever you want to call it, you know um, whether it is reality itself, mm. it's interesting that it can only be within these kind of you know stories. Um, as you've highlighted there, you know, mm. when you have something like Nadia Hussain being celebrated in a positive light, it's almost like, oh, shocking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, as we should give her applauds, and I'm, it's nothing to take her away when I made that joke about, you know, the food and stuff. It's, but it's the point that you won't have, though, for instance, somebody being celebrated who is a bit more politicized mm. or edgy and whatnot. It's because she won the Bake Off that it's a safe place to start. And it's almost like, as a result of that, we're fortunate that she's been able to subtly bring through things. Yeah. But essentially, we have to remember, if she didn't win Bake Off, that wouldn't have happened. it wouldn't have happened. But I also right? think that she's seen like the exception, exactly. just like Mo Farah, who's yeah. now rebranded exactly. to Muhammad, Muhammad after his Farah. career's over. Yeah, that's I don't know why that is. That's, that's another really one I've been thinking about. Though, we'll right? get him in for a podcast. Yeah. Another chat. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be down. But look, but look, this is the point. So the state, for instance, is fascinating, especially as an actor. Um, first did, did thing you, first. Did you apply for it? Bro, I, I was close. I was this close to auditioning, bro. Honestly, honestly, because I Jihad, found out that there were... four. Well, then, no, but this, is, <laughs> this is the interesting thing, because Man whenever these shows get made, right, as somebody who's been an actor who's been represented by agents and had no agent, I've seen both sides of the coin, closed auditions and open auditions. Yes. Yeah. Whenever it comes to a piece like this, they always open audition it because they struggle to find professional actors who actually know, firstly, you know, within scripting, you know, elements, you know, can they speak Arabic properly? Um, you know, do they know the ins and outs? Can they corroborate with the researchers to make sure that we've got the details correct? You know, they want to look at all these kind of things and you still end up having to call upon people who can fight the lines. You know, you don't get out and out practicing Muslims in an abundance who are either being called upon yeah. or getting offered the role or who are actually within the industry itself it seems yeah. um, so I don't know what the answer is should we have more Muslims who are going up for roles should we have more people working in production and television because mm. when I'm talking to you earlier I was saying right this scene really bugged me in the state really bugged me Small little aspect, and I know this from, for instance, my time when I did some work for EastEnders because my mate was the researcher at the time. Yeah. She wasn't a practicing Muslim. She didn't even know the Avan. She came into rehearsal one day and she was like, right, anybody want to be on EastEnders? The only thing you need to do is know how to do the Avan. So it means you have to pray. Yeah. So 
that basically excludes anyone who's a non-practicing Muslim. And it's funny how like half the room didn't, couldn't didn't op- know, yeah. And we're we're a Muslim theatre group. I thought like, I was yeah. like it was really it was quite an eye opener that moment though. Mm. It made me realise that like Salim said, they're these people who toe the line a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and so subsequently they get things so confused. So bringing it back to the state, the scene which really really annoyed me was the fact that they wanted to wrangle in the idea. So. For those of you who haven't seen it, apologies, spoiler alert. But basically, they wanted to show that, you know, adjusting to the Middle East and whatnot. And so they wanted to get the idea that they have to use Eastern toilets in. Right? It's ridiculous, right? So they've got this scene of these two women going into the bathroom. One's really pampered, missing her family and whatnot, really young. The other one's single mother, really strong. She's a doctor, whatever. She goes rago, just sits down and squats openly in front of the other woman in like it's urinals. Yeah. First of all, men don't even have urinals, so women were never going to have urinals in the open. Secondly, they wouldn't do it in front of another woman, even if it was, you know, um, in that situation. Mm. And thirdly, she didn't even wash herself. Like, so literally, <laughs> she just squatted, did a pee, got up, and walked off. And I was just like, wow. So, again, I know specifically as an actor, that means the researcher doesn't know her job. You must wonder why is this long rant? But it is a point and purpose that the researcher doesn't really necessarily know or is not got a big enough voice to say this matters yeah. Muslims will pick this up everywhere they'll be like that's inauthentic that's inauthentic mm-hmm. that's inauthentic there's another there's another thing from, from last night's episode I think episode 2 is on right now don't, <coughs> don't change the channel just yet yeah. um, watch this and then you can watch it on catch up or something but what was really interesting yeah was that um, the the sort of the Yaki's from the hood, the two Pakistani guys? Oh yeah, that's guys, interesting as well. Who could perfectly speak Arabic yeah. when necessary? Yeah, and like beyond like Salam alaikum and Inshallah and Alhamdulillah, like people can't really do that, and and especially the guys that are going off to join ISIS, mm-hmm. yeah. they're mm-hmm. never the sharpest tools in the shed. Like no. there's no way they would just know how to speak Arabic fluently. No. Um, and I found that like okay fine it's not like the biggest issue but it's those little things but it's very relevant because you'll find the majority of terrorists who go over are non-Arab because the Arabs know what's going on they know it's a politicised thing they know this is not necessarily just a matter of religion they know that it's bigger than that and therefore a lot of the time they're more clued up whereas mm. as you say it's often the east london reaver or the guy from yorkshire um you know or it's that pakistani brother who don't really know much about religion but is very mm. angry because he's marginalized because he's never felt like he fitted in society because he keeps getting told that muslims are the other whatever it may be you could see some of those strands within it so i have to give them their credit because you know but then at the same time you had the guys like i'm a half like no you're not bruv like because half as i say the amount of people I speak to who say mm. that they're really non-educated, you know, in terms of even their usul, their actual yeah. religion, you know, they don't know it. In so again, how do you how did you find the state man watching I the, watched the first it very episode? quickly today um, on the bad British Library Wi-Fi, so it kept buffering, and I just got really annoyed. <laughs> with it. Um, so I'll watch it again in detail when I um, please do when I when I um, when I come back home. Um, it was sort of weird because I was asked to be a researcher on this show like years ago in 2014 right. and it was absolutely bizarre like that this thing actually got created. Um, when the adver- when they were advertising, I remember they were advertising on media job sites and they were looking for like researchers, brackets, preferably Muslim. <laughs> Do you um, see what I mean though? Yeah, yeah. You know, brackets, preferably Muslim. Uh, it should be an essential, yeah. man. Like... To work on a like new TV docudrama. Hmm. 
Um, so obviously I applied for it. I met Peter Kosminski in his office. Um, you know, we had a chat. It was a very kind of straightforward, like, your job is basically going to involve talking to, um, trying to contact people who had joined ISIS and like, because we're going to use as much primary material as we can. And at the time at the news organization I was working at, that was sort of my thing. Um, I was like trying to get interviews with ISIS vices and everything. So, um, it, he did, I got offered the job, but I turned it down because it was too short of a contract. Um, but what, you know, judging what you base, like my, you know, Peter Kosminski is like one of the best documentary drama mm. makers in mm. the country. So I do think that he did use the primary source material mm -hmm. to as much of his ability. And he was also very aware that like he didn't want to make a drama that was too essentializing because we spoke about this. Um, so what made what kind of makes me think is like, okay, maybe some stuff has been added in for drama. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of the stuff has been added in like production or post-production. Um, but maybe a lot of it is to do with the transcripts and like how how authentic are those transcripts? Because when I was doing these interviews of people from the news site, of course you'd have these like young men who were just like really trying to like be macho and they were trying to like you know be trying to like portray themselves as like more Islamic and more like the Mujahideen than they were. Mm. So they were like, yeah, you know, memor you know memorizing Quran like pasting like Quranic phrases <laughs> like at like ridiculous hours of the morning, you know. Some some of this is really really bizarre. Like you could tell that it was copy paste because mm -hmm. when you like did a reverse Google search, you found that it was like oh you know al Sunnah or something <laughs> like that. So yeah, you can tell that like they're spending their internet time doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think that you know there may be some of the bizarre stuff that we think is like really un-Islamic might have actually happened because mm -hmm. you know at the end of the day like a lot of these kids who went weren't particularly Islamic. They were they came from like hmm. you know so. Maybe some. Maybe of the... they don't know their fit. Maybe yeah. they don't know how to do ablution. I don't know. Like, but maybe I'm being when too you're, finicky. When, when you're kind of like broadcasting this, and you know that Muslims are going to be watching it, yeah. and you are going to be kind of representing Islam in one way or another, um, yeah, there is some responsibility that sort of comes with that because you've got hmm. to recognise that you're like part of your audience. And we said that it, yeah. it is obviously very very difficult. Yeah, don't worry. He's been beeping the whole time. Like. <laughs> 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 you know what? I, I think I, I, yeah. I, you haven't seen the whole thing, so I'll ask a night at this, right? So when I saw Just the my episode, mum, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you should get that. It's really worrying where you are. Like, dinner's waiting. No, no, I told her. I told her. Anyway, anyway if you're watching she this. She doesn't mom, have to log in on Facebook. If you're watching this, mum, fine. <laughs> I haven't been captured. Somewhere in North London. Um, um, yeah, no. So, so when yeah. I was watching it, um, and I don't know Peter, I can't pronounce his surname. Yeah. You can say it if you Kisminski. want. Kisminski. Kisminski. Yeah. Um, I. It seemed like a very sort of nice portrayal almost of what mm. goes on there. And and my concern almost is that, like, if people had their concerns about potentially wanting to join, and they'll be like, you know, it's not all that bad. Like, well, I think because it's a three part drama. I think okay, maybe it'll get worse. Well, we know worse. it's going to get worse. We yeah. know. But the point is, if it's only a. Th well, that's interesting. The mere fact that it's only a three part drama, we're yeah. a third of the way through, and I haven't seen one negative element yet. Yeah. But maybe that's part of the, the whole thing. Well, they, well, this is, well, I'm wondering, though, the point is, is that if somebody only watches the first episode. Yeah. Because many people will do that as well. You know, there'll be many people who won't. I just happened to be watching it yesterday. Yeah. I, I was watching whatever was on before, I think, and it just came on. I think if you were like a young person who was really seriously thinking about it, 
one you wouldn't be watching a documentary no, no, about no, it. No, 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 no. I'm oh, talking no, about yeah. the moderate in between person. The more yeah. I'm talking about how are we influencing it again the yeah. perception of what reality is. So yeah. firstly, like we were saying earlier, how much it must be such a difficult job for people making shows like this mm. to even authenticate what their research is. Because as we know, even when somebody finally gets to sit down with a former ISIS member, not necessarily everything which comes out of their mouth is truthful and therefore yeah. not everything that gets represented is obviously authentic. Yeah. But So that's one hard job in itself and it's not always necessarily an agenda of somebody. It's sometimes just miscommunication over, you know, over the chain of narration. Mm. Whereas... In this respect here, my only worry is, as I say, because it's a narrative, because it's a fiction, because it's a drama, if the randomly like Salim, you know, I don't know, Richard Don't, don't use me as an example. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> a bit worried. Like, no, I was just going to say, like, the equivalent, like, in terms of, like, a non-Muslim. Um, oh, okay. oh, so I'm a non-Muslim. No. Okay, cool. Carry on, carry on. Let it's me fine. make my <laughs> point, man. Like, so, um, I forgot where I was. <laughs> Richard no, Branson. No, 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 Richard Branson. Well, Richard Branson is not really a normal guy, but let's take Richard Branson as an example since you've taken him. But the point is, is a normal English person or a normal European guy, you know, who has no understanding of this context and this conversation, if they were to just to watch that first episode and not decide to watch the rest of the episodes, what I'm worried about also is that it seemed very neutral to the extent that it was almost like informative. You know, like how they were constantly subtitling yeah, the random, words, yeah. um, you know, Islamic phrases and things. And, you know, the little bits of information which almost put, when we use that language yeah. then, us in the same box as those people, mm. because it hasn't shown any difference yet. Yeah. You know, if that was what they were to walk away from, they would be like, oh, this guy says, you know, inshallah I go to Jannah. That's what, oh, I remember that program I was watching, which was about ISIS. Yeah. Do, you, do you get my point in the yeah, connection? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's that thing, obviously, where like you don't want to kind of make judgments on people's mm -hmm. other, other people's creativity, especially when it's not completed. But I can totally kind of see your point. Um, I do kind of. And I'm wonder, not saying Richard Branson's ignorant. I, I do I, kind I, of I, wonder I how many bad. people would go in and do that because I know, like, when the trailers yeah. were first out, like the trailers were really intense and obviously showed that like this isn't going to end well for any of his yeah. kids, yeah. right? Um, maybe like a little disclaimer, which kind of said that you know a lot of these kids are dead. Yeah, would have helped a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Um, there, was, there was another interesting thing that I, I realised yesterday. Well, they did mention that. They did say a lot of them are going to be martyred, you know, like... Oh, you know, yeah, so yeah, they, 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 they do. Throughout. Yeah. yeah, they do. They do but yeah. what's interesting is that the way the Middle East, uh, or at least the Middle East and media, have kind of responded to ISIS is through parody. Right. So a lot of, like, news channels and whatever else, and there's been yeah. skits and, and all the sort of entertainment channels yeah. as well, and they, they kind of make light of it, and they don't take you know, ISIS and all that stuff too seriously. And I think that empowers almost every Muslim or everyone that's watching that to be like, yeah, these guys are a joke. They're not serious Muslims. They, they mock, for example, the way that they don't know anything about Islam and whatever yeah. else and show how like, they don't represent. Mm -hmm. with, yeah. with a kind of very serious and humanizing um, representation that we've got, you know, with the yeah. state. Uh, I don't know if it almost has a reverse effect, where it's like we take it seriously, we, we see it. And, and obviously... ISIS are a threat. Let's not let's not yeah, pretend yeah, they're yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. But it's just you know I was listening to LBC this morning, and there was an Australian police officer who was actually in Barcelona um, during the time of the attack, and she basically then went on to give some advice about um, what to do when you go on holiday. And she said that her and her husband they always walk side by side, and if not, they walk with they're within eye line of each other. If something happens, 
the the person doesn't go away to get help they stay with the person all this kind of stuff and she even went so mm. far as to say that if you're going on a holiday with a young kid or any of your kids you should attach your information to their body like to their shirt like pin it or something mm. and, and this wasn't in case they get lost but in case of an attack yeah. so like in case there's like you get hit by a car your mm. bag's gonna go flying and okay i understand that that's you know precautions need to be taken yeah. but I worry that there's an element of kind of fear mongering and like saying that this is it, like ISIS are the threat and and crippling us into not living our lives in the way mm. that we should mm-hmm. and sort of that whole, you know, keep calm and carry on approach yeah. and obviously yeah. be pragmatic and deal with the threats yeah. that are there. But at the same time, like we can't just it's consuming everything now. Like we've we've, we've had a podcast, we've spoken about ISIS mm. through the sort of Barcelona attack and then we're speaking about the state, which is a dramatic representation of ISIS. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just it's like a bit dom- much. Like dominated, it just dominates. Com- dominates I mean, this is what they want, essentially. They want the, the media. They want and this side. is what I was saying. Even from a pragmatic aspect of uh, somebody within media as an actor, it's funny because this kind of show is like when within our industry, all us Muslim actors go, oh, I've, got an, I've got a chance. Yeah. You know, which is sad. That, that That's when we get excited because we know there's like 15 roles up for grabs, like where yeah. we've got a possibility rather than, you know, Downton Abbey where there's not a single role. To and you're thinking on. about like how you get, a, like how you get a job and stuff like that. Exactly. How do, and so there's so many people will compromise yeah. and you'll find like, you know, it'll be rare that somebody will approach uh, a Muslim brother and they don't have to go through that quandary. Yeah. Um, and, and as I say, yeah, some, I mean, some loads of it, my son done. Loads of it is about commissioning, isn't it? So it's mm. like, because even in the journalism world, it's very much like that too. Um, it's like, as long as I get yeah. that one stamp, you know, like Riz Ahmed had to do it. He had to do the Guantanamo Bay. That was his ticket almost like yeah, in a way. Like four lions. To, to, he did like another one. He did like a, he did another Kazminsky. Even, he did a Kazminsky was it, drama. It wasn't. Where he was like an MI5. Where he was, no, yeah, oh, he, no, the Brits. Was it Brits? Brits. Brits, yeah. that's it. And that yeah, was another yeah. Kismin's Yeah, um, His first three roles, his first three roles were typecast. all, heavily, all heavily, typecast, yeah. right? Yeah. Fair play to him. He, he's managed to boom, boom, boom. But this is the point. It's yeah. like, at what stage do you say, am I compromising myself? Am I compromising my yeah. identity? Am I compromising And then on the flip side of that, it's kind of like Asians going into roles where they criticise typecasting. So like, yeah. even with like Aziz Ansari's yeah. series on Netflix, um, The Big Sick is another one that's mm. come out, mm. which is like supposed to be this film about, um, I shouldn't say anything too bad because Kamel Nanjiani and I had like a big fight on Twitter about this. Oh really? Which is really bizarre. Like I woke, because obviously he lives in America, so I woke up and I was like, okay, Kamel Nanjiani has done like a 13 tweet thread <laughs> criticizing my criticism of his trailer. Really? Uh, that is fascinating. <laughs> like, wow, I really like this guy on TV and now he wants to start fights with me. Um, the life of very wide people. Which is really what happens when you get a blue tick, you just have yeah. fights with people. Yeah, um, nice, nice, nice. But that's like a film about like him being kind of Pakistani and like wanting to marry a white woman. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And it's just like, okay, it's supposed to be this really progressive comedy, but like how progressive is it really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we haven't really defined what progress is. Um, as a community, we haven't really defined what progress is because, you know, as far as, as le- at least like from what I can see, like we don't really talk about like making things on television and stuff like that. Um, we don't well, really let's be honest. Uh, the, the guy you just mentioned, then Kamel, he, he's a bit of a sellout, in my opinion. Like, I'm going to say it straight. <laughs> I'll be straight. Like, I've watched a few of his things. I only realised who he was the other day. Yeah, and I was like straight away. I was like, oh, another typical. Sellout. So I really like. I really like him on Silicon Valley, like okay. the show, which okay. is what, yeah. which is probably the best American yeah. comedy sitcom show yeah. on TV at the moment. So that's how I haven't really seen a lot of his comedy stuff. Yeah. 
Um, same with like Aziz Ansari too. Like I really liked him from like Parks and Recreation, where mm. like he wasn't typecast, right? He was cool. just like this really funny guy mm. who. And there was like two episodes where like the fact that he was like brown kind of showed up, right? Mm. Um, you got to be like really privileged to do that. I know lots of kind of young Asian actors and actresses. But this is my point. None who, of them yeah. are practicing Muslims, and I'm not saying you have to be a practicing Muslim, but it's mm. it's just it make well. The point being is that yeah. Aziz Ansari can do a running joke about the fact that he eats pork in front of his parents. Yeah, because that's him. I can't do that because that's not me. Do you, do you, like, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking about this in like a journalism world as well, right? Mm. Where like lots of kind of Asian journalists who do really well, um, though it's obviously lesser of a case. Yeah. Um, in the journalism profession than it is like acting and music and stuff like that is that those types of kind of cultures the communities around them don't necessarily like lend themselves to practicing muslims mm. um you know because of like even in journalism you've got this like heavy culture of like going to bars and drinking mm. and stuff yeah. like that yeah. and even though i consider myself to be a practicing muslim yeah like you know if i have to like go to like socials in bars mm. i will i will do that even if i don't want to do it mm. and a lot of me coming up in the game and like meeting people and getting jobs and stuff was all because like I met people in places where other more practicing Muslims may not want to do that. Mm. I had to compromise my own religiosity yeah, to do that yeah. and I'm not necessarily sure whether that was a good or bad thing but mm. I do recognise that's something I had to do. And that's my point, you know, it seems to be across the board, you know, talking about the stay, I'm sure a lot of the actors who are within it, if there are any Muslim actors, I saw a couple of names who could be, I could be assuming, yeah. whatever, but they will go through these dilemmas, you know. Yeah. It's like, this is my first big role, you know, this is what I'm putting my face to, yeah. I'm almost stamping and saying that, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I haven't got an issue with it. Mm. And if the narrative goes in any way, which is completely out of their hands, or, yeah. or we have to bear in mind, it's not their fault necessarily. But in the same way, whether you're a journalist, whether you're a news reporter, whether you're an actor, whether you know, you're a producer, a yeah. researcher, the point is, is when we put these things on screen, when we put these things on media, social uh, media, whatever it may be, how much are we representing truth? Yeah. And how often do we see the practicing Muslim, which you and I know, within that field? Mm. I don't ever see it. I never see it. I think that's going to have to be a rhetorical question. I believe so. As we should move on to the last topic. Go for it. <laughs> Which is the book. Um, yeah, baby, the book. <laughs> the book. What are you writing about, the man? The book. Oh, man. Um, well, what am I writing about? Um, I'm doing I'm doing a piece at the moment about um, 90s TV shows. Uh, which is not unrelated to the book, but you know, uh, that's coming out next week. So share it, please. Um, yeah. So the book, the book. I'm working on a my first book at the moment, which is being published by Hearst, which is a small publisher based in Bloomsbury. Nice. Um, the book is about British Muslims and social media. Okay. Cool. Um, it's about how British Muslim identity is being shaped by social media, if it's being shaped, and it looks. It basically tells stories about Muslims living in Britain and their interactions with the web. Um, and their interactions particularly with like social media channels and how the it's sort of like the mix of identity between religion and culture and being British and being Asian or being British and being black and also being Muslim and how all these things fit in yeah um, so I look at the internet as like a lens for telling stories but also as a medium for telling stories too right um, if that makes any sense it should be out at some point towards the middle to the end of next year if all the edits go all right inshallah I don't think the edits will go well <laughs> I like the copy that I've seen so far um, I'm also very behind on my schedule my agent isn't particularly so my agent was basically saying that you like you need to do less 
publicity for your book and actually write it. Or doing <laughs> of the actual book. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what so if you're watching, things... I should and thank you. <laughs> what kinds of things specifically do, do you look at? Um, I know we spoke about this earlier off air and I know there are certain things yeah. that you can't talk about. Yes. Yeah, so can you give us like yeah. a, a light... Um, well, it's quite a varied and eclectic range yeah, of experiences. So, so it? it's split into eight chapters. It'll probably, it might be like condensed into more later, depending. I look at various... So the stories that I look at range from like YouTubers who make their kind of big debuts on Speaker's Corner um, and they like film very high quality YouTube videos that go viral. Um, I speak to um, Muslim women who learn how, who are like learning how to code, building their own kind of apps, like Islamically themed apps and stuff. Um, also Muslim women who... Um, spoke to Siddhika Jaffa? Hmm? Have you spoke to Siddhika Jaffa? No, I haven't, but Halal give me... Dining Club. Oh, yes, yeah, okay, so I know who she is, but I haven't messaged her yet. Um, <laughs> it's really important. I've done, like, a lot of stories about dating and marriage apps and stuff like that. Um, tons. So what I've realised in, like, my f- six months of research so far is that the majority of Muslim Muslims use the web to kind of, like, try get married and, like, mm. try find wives and stuff like that. Sometimes mm. more than one wife, uh, which is which is a bit bizarre and interesting. Secondwife.com. Secondwife.com. <laughs> so who's thinking about it? <laughs> So I've got laptop. <laughs> um, I did. I did a talk at Methali up in North London the other week, where I read a story about a horrible date, which I sat in on, and it was one of the funniest things I've done. You sat in on a date. Well, I sat three tables away, okay. so I was sitting on my own, eating a plate of biryani, like listening to. Wait, where was the first date? <laughs> where was this date? So this date was in a restaurant in North London. Well, what was the restaurant um, called? I'm not going to tell the name. Oh. It, it was, was Taste of Lahore by the sound of <laughs> <laughs> it. Was, it was a Moroccan restaurant okay. Okay. up in Swiss Cottage. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's like enough Google, clue. Google. That's enough clue, clue to see. Okay. Um, and I was having a biryani, like a Moroccan biryani, just very yeah, weird. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. It, it was good, though. It was really good. Um, Man, a Moroccan and, biryani, like. And, I was, and I, was, I was sitting a few tables away watching this date. Yeah. And the woman who I was interviewing sort of knew that it wasn't going to work out anyway. Right. right. But she is looking to get married. I don't know what her progress is like at the moment. Um, And she ended up meeting this guy who not only showed up late, but looked like a 90s Bollywood star. Um, (laughs) And he basically said, like, in the middle of the date, like, yeah, this isn't going to work out. So we ended up having this casual conversation, which sort of ended with him saying that, like, he just swipes right on everyone because that increases your odds. And that... He was leaving early from the date because he was late for another one. That's wow. quality. What so, a guy. He's playing, what the, numbers. Guy. He's playing the numbers there. <laughs> he's a legend. <laughs> um, so that's the kind of stories I tell. I'm trying not to go too academic with it. Yeah. Because um, I want it to be like a more mass market thing. But I sort of wanted to show that there were a lot more interesting stories about Muslims than... Because there's like four books about Muslims that have been published in the past year. Two of them have focused on terrorism. One of them was kind of like... A book by James Ferguson which was alright but it didn't really tell stories about young Muslims it was all like middle aged older Muslims and you know the stuff that they go through so I was like you know where's all the fun stuff that we mm. do where's like you know the eclectic mad Muslim Twitter mm-hmm. um, you know where are all like the bizarre characters who you know are addicted to Instagram and stuff like that so that's sort of the mission um, and I'm just trying to tell like obviously there's like some stories which may be a bit 
uh, maybe not appropriate to talk about on this podcast. Mm, mm, um, mm. Happy to talk about it with you privately if you message me. <laughs> um, nothing like too haram or anything, but it's more just like, you know, I'm going to save the good stuff, but also I don't want to get in trouble with any aunties or anything. So. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Well, well uh, for the aunties. I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, looking forward to reading your book. I appreciate then, it. Yeah, because uh, the, the few snippets, because I was at that um, that talk you gave at Methlily, yeah. and uh, yeah, it really sounds like an intriguing an intriguing piece. Um, I hope it I hope it turns out to be like that. Yeah, I yeah. hope so too, because you've hyped it now, so, yeah, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. So, um, but look, thank you very much, Hussein, for joining no us. Uh, thank you for Vibe. having me. I enjoyed being here. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's been insightful. It's been insightful. I know uh, it's quite a big task to kind of like have to deal with topics such as this. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so no, appreciate it. It's harder actually getting here. Oh, uh, really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> always, I always like to see the North London suburbs, but then I also realise like how much of a trek it is for everything else. <laughs> to get so, it. Where, yeah. you, where did you come from? So I was coming from King's Cross, but I live in South London. So I live in Woolwich. Oh, oh wow. So I've got to go back. Oh and, wow! Yeah. So yeah, you got a bit of a mission. Well, look, yeah. we'll wrap it up here then, bro, so that yeah, you can exactly, toddle yeah. on home, man. Um, look, uh, yeah, thank you, Salim, as always, for uh, joining in with the discussion and for helping <laughs> me along with it. Um, and yeah, uh, th- I've been an Kanji. This has been the Muslim Vibe Podcast. Make sure you follow, subscribe, share, and all the rest of it. Until next time, peace and love. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.